And it's great to be here today. Have you ever had problems? Ever, ever have difficulties in your life? We, we, we came back from a refreshing few days and, and a, a, a gracious gift that we received that we enjoyed very much. And then uh, we got home driving across the hot desert and you, you get home and you're just, ah. And our house was 97 degrees inside. Uh, our air conditioner died while we were gone. Uh, we have problems on earth. We have normal problems of normal life. But there's also problems that people face because they are believers. And so sometimes they get rejected by friends, by coworkers, by family. Sometimes a family member doesn't understand your faith and, and there's an estrangement there. In some parts of the world, you can go to prison for making a profession of faith in Christ. You can even be put to death for it. And the believers in the day in which Peter was living, they were going through hard times. They were going through difficult times. And their struggles and their stresses were because they took a stand for Jesus Christ. They said, uh, we don't submit to Caesar, we submit to the Lord. There's one king, his name is Jesus. And so they obeyed the laws of the land, as we're supposed to do, but they had a higher allegiance to the Lord. And they suffered because of it. And so if you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Second Peter, we're looking at receiving the greatest gift ever given. And when Peter is writing this letter, he knows his time on earth is fairly short. The pastor who preceded me here was named Gene Schaefer. Gene was a friend of mine. Uh, when his health deteriorated and he felt like he couldn't pastor anymore, he gave my name to the pulpit committee here. And he called me and said, would you consider coming to Casa Grande? I said, no. So Casa Grande's in the middle of the middle of the Sonoran Desert. You know, and, and I didn't anticipate God would lead me here. He said, pray about it for a month and let me know. And God obviously led us here because we've been here for a while and praise the Lord for that. But Gene, Gene's health was deteriorating and we got really close. We were friends before. We got really close when we lived here in town and he would preach for me sometimes when he was physically able to do it and, and we'd get together every single week. We'd do something. We'd have lunch together, just pray together, or talk uh, with each other. And and we we got really close. And then toward the end of his life, uh, he'd had lots of health troubles. He'd been in and out of the hospital and and care facility. And then I remember the last week of his life, he and I were talking, and and we'd had lunch together. And I brought lunch to him, and. We sat and we ate lunch, and then I was getting ready to leave, and, and he was talking about the fact that he would be going to heaven to be with the Lord soon. And as I started to go out the door, I stopped, and I looked back at him, and I still remember the look on his face and what I was feeling inside. And, and I just looked at him, I said, you really know, don't you? You know this is it. And then I walked back and gave him a bear hug, and he gave me a bear hug. And 
You know, he was shorter, so my hands were around his shoulders and his were around my waist. <laughs> but, but, but we gave each other a bear hug. And a few days later, he was in the presence of the Lord. He knew. His body was failing. I, I could list all the illnesses that he had, uh, but some of them I wouldn't even be able to pronounce. And, and he knew it was the time. And so Peter knows this is the time. And that last conversation that I had with Pastor Schaefer, he was just urging me to, to stay faithful and to keep the church on the right track and to stick to the Word of God. And, and that's what Peter's doing here. This is his, his last word and testimony, if you will. The last words of a man who knows he's going to die soon to be put to death for his faith. And he wanted to give some encouragement to those believers who were going through hard times. And I honestly believe the hard times we endure in America are easy peasy compared to the hard times they were enduring there in those days. And Peter wanted to encourage them and wanted to help them and strengthen them because the pain they were feeling was real and it was discouraging. And at the beginning of this letter, Peter tries to lift their focus up, to take their focus off of these difficulties and, and look up to the Lord. It's like the old preacher was talking to a guy in his church, and, and the guy came up to the old preacher, and the old preacher said, How you doing? And the guy says, Well, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances, Pastor. And the old preacher said, what are you doing under the circumstances? You're supposed to live above your circumstances. That's what Peter's trying to convey. They were not just people going through hard times. They were called of God. They were called by His name. They were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were going through hard times, but they were going through hard times. The hard times would be left behind behind and they would go through their souls were already fully connected with the Lord God and eventually they would be forever with the Lord in heaven and so Peter lifts their vision from their circumstances to the spiritual reality of their daily life father as we look to your word today we pray that we would join in these people who read this letter that Peter wrote that we would join in with them and we would we would have the joyful perspective that Peter wanted them to have. Peter, who knew he was facing the end of his life on earth, yet he wanted to encourage believers in the Lord. He wanted to reach other people for the Lord. He had a passion to have a spiritual impact with the days that he had remaining on planet earth. And I pray that we would have that desire as well. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter, sorry, Second Peter, chapter one. Simon Peter. He begins with the name Simon Peter. You see, he was just Simon, and then Jesus added the name Peter. He he became the rock, Peter, Petros, the rock. And so Simon Peter, he's I have the name my mom gave me, my dad gave me when I was born, and I have the name Jesus gave me when I walked with him. Simon Peter, and then what's the first descriptive term he uses about himself? A, a slave, a bondservant, somebody who's 
under the authority of another. A slave or a bondservant was completely under the authority of another person. Now, I could this morning get up here and I could tell you to do stuff. And I could say, Ben, you need to do this. And Ben could say, no, I don't. Now, if Ben told Lucas he needed to do it, yeah. Lucas, you're a bondservant to your parents right now. That's that's the structure. But but a bondservant has no authority. A bondservant has no freedom, no liberty. Do you know in some countries you have to have the government's permission to make a trip like we made this week or lots of folks make over the course of a year? In, in some cultures, you have to have the government's permission before you can move to another city. We have freedom here, but a bondservant doesn't have that. They have no individual rights or freedoms, and Peter freeful, freely, willfully, freefully, he, he freefully, freely and willfully submitted himself to Jesus Christ. See, you learn new things in church. You learned a new word today, didn't you? Uh, and so he completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. He grew and he matured when he was walking with the Lord. He sometimes argued with Jesus about things. But now he totally, fully submits. And the first descriptive term, Peter, Simon Peter, a bondservant, a slave. And then he adds, and apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle was one who had seen the Lord in his ministry, who had been called by God to serve as an apostle, and who helped start the church and establish the church in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So an apostle was serving and submitting, and I'm sorry, before he talked about being an apostle, he talks about serving and submitting. Those are requirements for leadership in the church. If someone wants to be in charge but doesn't want to serve, they're not fit. They're submitting and serving in the name of Jesus, and then some are chosen to serve in leadership as he was. Then he says, uh, in, he continues in verse 1, to those who obta- have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who have obtained. Now, this says something. It says, you already have this. You have obtained this. So, we have ordered a new air conditioning unit. We have not obtained it yet. Lord willing, we will obtain it tomorrow. They're scheduled to come and install it. We have two little window units that uh, one in one bedroom, one in another, and that's where we're hibernating in our house. But hopefully we'll have the big thing there. But once you have obtained something, you already have it. And and the way this is structured, the way this is structured, New Testament was originally written, most of it in Greek. And in the Greek, this is very evident that this is something that is bestowed. It's like a royal decree you have obtained. This is something given, something you have received through no effort of your own. It is given to you. You have obtained like precious faith. When I was a kid, I didn't understand the fact that pastors were human. (laughs) 
for some reason, I really understand it now. Uh, uh, but when I was a kid, I, I just thought pastors were different. Like God made normal people and then he made pastors, you know. And there was normal people and then pastors and then God. And, and that's how some of the people in the early church thought about the apostles. Because these apostles had walked with Jesus. They had talked with Jesus. They had shared meals with Jesus. They had sat directly under the instruction of Jesus. And so you had the normal people in their church, and then you had the apostles. And Paul said to all of these believers, we have obtained like precious faith. What does that mean? That means if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the faith that you have in Jesus Christ is just like the faith the apostles had in Jesus Christ. Now, see, in some cultures and in some cults, they have tiers and levels, and you can obtain to certain levels. God says we're all called to be believer priests. We're all called to represent God in the name of the Lord Jesus and serve Him. Yes, we have some positions in the home and, and in the church that there's some, some structure. But every believer has exactly the same faith. And, and what cults do is cults let you in and they, they show you a little bit, right? And then if you buy into that little bit, they'll show you a little bit more. Now you're an upper level and then a little more and then a little more and then a little more. And Christianity is exactly the opposite. Christianity says, this is just for Kathy Bird, okay? All y'all, come on in here, okay? Uh, he wants them to be brought in. He wants to bring us in. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. God opened up the Holy of Holies for public access. But the Jewish people who did not believe and trust in Jesus sewed it back up. But there is no separation. We are all part of the inner group. And we're all taught all of the teachings of Christ from the little kids. I love talking to some of the kids about things they've learned in Sunday school and junior church. And, and they can have it down. If they know Christ, they walk with Christ, they can learn a lot even though they're young. So, like precious faith, we respond when God draws us to salvation. We feel his drawing. We respond and we receive Jesus Christ. And everybody who has ever been saved has been saved by believing the revelation of God about Jesus Christ. And we believe and trust in him. When Peter wrote this letter, the apostles were dying off. And he wanted everybody out there to understand your faith is just the same as the apostles' faith. Aren't you glad he didn't say, now all you little people out there, if you're lucky enough and faithful enough and serve enough and give enough, you might be able to attain to the level I'm at. He said, we have like precious faith. It's special, but it's shared. And then he says, that we got this by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are not saved by your own righteousness. 
I tell you, there are some churches who teach that you get a better level in heaven if you give more money to the church. And let me tell you, that's a good fundraising scheme. People want to get more, and so they give. And and some people are giving money for people who've been dead, trying to purchase a, a better opportunity for them in the afterlife. It's not biblically accurate. Salvation's a gift, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so uh, you're not saved by your own righteousness, and, and millions, possibly even billions of people on planet Earth today are trying to earn their way into heaven. And they think if their good works outweigh their bad works, uh, they'll get into heaven. You know, if there's more good works, they go up. And if there's less good works, they go down. The Bible says you're not saved by works. You are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ, not by your own works. You believe and trust in him and you're saved. So if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, you're not saved. And you need to receive and to obtain the precious faith in Jesus Christ. So um, you are not saved by your own righteousness. Jesus is the only one who was righteous, the only one who never sinned. And also, Jesus is both God and Savior. And he's always been both. There is a church here in town that says they're a church of Jesus Christ. And, and they teach that Jesus became God. He was a man who did well and became God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says Jesus always was God. He was in the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in the beginning in Genesis, when God spoke creation into existence, John, in the beginning, it was the Father and the Word, Jesus Christ and the Spirit. And all he's God. He's always been God. He, it's called the incarnation because he became human. He stepped into humanity. So Jesus wasn't a good moral teacher who elevated himself to become God. He's always been God. But you know something else? He's always been the Savior, too. They say, wait a minute, he wasn't the Savior till he died on the cross. But you see, God views time differently than we do. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, right? When were you saved? Well, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior August the 10th, 1976, about 10 o'clock at night, Mountain Standard Time, or Mountain Daylight Time. I was at youth camp. I wrote it down in my Bible, so I remember when I got saved. But the Bible says we were saved in Him before the foundation of the world. So before, in the beginning, when God created the heaven and the earth, there was before that, in the beginning, the Father and the Son making the plan of redemption for all who would believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And He was the Savior before He said, let there be light. He was already designated and committed to be the Savior. He just wasn't revealed to be the Savior. 
until the fullness of time was come and God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And Jesus stepped into humanity and showed people the Savior that God had planned from the very beginning. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace, God's generous gift. We do not deserve salvation. Okay? You could turn to the person next to you today and you could tell them, you don't deserve salvation. And that would be completely true. It's a gift that we receive by the grace of God. Receiving something we don't deserve. And we receive that grace at salvation, but it doesn't stop. So it's a, a generous gift, peace. We were enemies with God, and now we're at peace with God. So uh, before you're saved, before you receive Christ as your Savior, you don't have that peace with God. So there's God the Father, and you're separated from Him, and then through Christ... There's peace, like a peace treaty is signed. And, and it's signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you're now at peace with God. But then it says, be multiplied. Be multiplied. See, God's grace and God's peace are not one-time events. They're not, all right, he gave you grace. There, that's enough, that's it. He's continually giving you grace. Grace in salvation and grace for life. Peace in salvation, and then peace at times in your life. You'll go through times when you're distressed. And you go to God in prayer, and he sends his peace. Times when you're discouraged, and you sing songs of praise to God, and he sends his peace. And, and you have this peace that passes all understanding, in spite of the difficulties of life, because God's multiplying his grace and peace into your life through the, the knowledge of him. Knowledge is the, the clear recon, recognition of who God is and of Jesus Christ, who is both God the Son and the Savior and Lord. But it's not just head knowledge. It's not just knowing something like, you know, little kids learn two plus two is four, and two times two is four, and three plus three is six, and three times three is not six. And I remember when I was a kid and I thought, how come? Because I, I love symmetry and I love patterns. But, but God, in this knowledge, it's not just knowing of Jesus, but it's knowing Jesus. A, a personal knowledge of Jesus. So, uh, if you talk to people, oh yeah, you know, people may use... Some people like to throw names out. You know what I mean? They're name dropper people. Kathy and I were in a church re recently. <laughs> I don't, my brain thinks recently. It was 30 years ago, okay? Uh, we were in this church 30 years ago. When you get to be my age, that's pretty recent. No, uh, but but uh, we were in, in a church 30 years ago, and this pastor got up, and, and he said, I'm tired today. He said, you know, I was, I was uh, in, at, in uh, Washington, D.C., meeting with the president. And praying with the president. Oh. He was at the National Prayer Breakfast. He was one of 
a couple thousand. And he was out in the room. He wasn't anywhere near the President of the United States. And, but he liked to drop names. So, if you ask me, who's the President of our country? If I ask you, who's the President? Donald Trump. How many of you know Donald Trump? Well, we know about him, right? But we've never met him. Well, I haven't. Maybe you have. I've never met him. And so when it talks about knowing Jesus, it's not just, I know about Jesus. It's, I know him. I know him because I've received him as my Savior. I know him because I've studied his life in the Gospels. I know him because he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me, I'm his own. And a song that Kathy taught me when we were newlyweds the other day. And uh, it, it was, I am his and he is mine. And we belong to him. So I have an experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because I've walked with him and enjoyed life with him. And so when he's writing, he says, you have this through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, you know Jesus. Because you've received him, because you've trusted in him. Peter knew Jesus because he walked with him and ate with him. And, but, but we know Jesus because we believe the record and we've received him as our savior. And the Holy Spirit lives inside us. And the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. One that would come just like Jesus. John 14, 15 and 16. Uh, the comforter, the paraclete. Uh, the one who would come alongside and walk with us, inside us, the Holy Spirit. And so we have a connection with Jesus. And so, as he says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to those who know Christ, now grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, <clears throat> he starts out saying, I'm a bondservant. And now he says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one we follow. Jesus is the one we submit to. And we know him not only as Savior, but also as Lord, as we yield our lives to follow him. Verse 3, as his divine power. Right. In the English, there's a couple of words that are uh, translated in English as power. One speaks of authority. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, and, and it's all authority. He has that. And here, it's talking about power of ability. So, God has this power of ability according to His divine power. How big is His divine power? He spoke the words, let there be lights in the firmament, and the universe appeared. Scientists are still trying to figure out how many stars are out there because every time we send out a new probe, a new scan, a new look, they find more. 
There were spots out there that they thought were dead spots. And you know what they found inside those dead spots? More solar systems. They have no idea how much is out there. And God said, let there be lights. I I mean, sometimes I have to a couple times strike before the match will light. And he could light the universe with a spoken word. He has the same power today. He wasn't creator God and now he has limited powers to help in your life. He still has the full, awesome, divine power that he has always had. So, uh, as his divine power has given to us, this is something God has already done. And again, it's something officially bestowed by one who has authority to give it. So, if you have believed on Jesus Christ, then God has already done this. He's already given this to you. Some days it doesn't feel like we have it, but we have it. What is it? Well, look, verse 3. As His divine power has given to us, what? All things. You know that word, all? That's an interesting word. You know what that word means? All. All things. Everything you will ever need. Everything that's essential. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. All things. So, when a kid goes to school, um, I, a couple of our uh, kids have kids in school and... and uh, one of them was talking about how much money they had to spend to buy all the stuff the teachers recommended that the parents buy. And it's a lot. It's actually like a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff they had to buy for their kids in school. And then another one was saying, well, the school my kid's in, it's only 50 bucks. And and we said, Casa Grande, it's free. But um, they still don't want to move here for some reason. But, uh, but, but we have, you have, stuff that you need to get ready for school, right? And different schools have different things that they need. But God has given you everything you need for life. So, what can happen to you in the course of a life? All right? You, you, and we're going to ask for a good thing and a bad thing. All right? So, you guys give me a good thing that can happen in the course of life. Couldn't hear it. Become a parent, okay? You can't say that as a bad thing, Jeff. Good. All right, what's a bad thing that can happen in the course of your life? Bad. Cancer. You know that. And family members going through that. All right, uh, what's a good thing? What was that? Okay. What's a bad thing? Losing a job. So we got bad thing, losing a job, having cancer. Good thing, fulfilling a dream, having kids. So everything you need. How many of you, when you had kids, 
felt like you got this covered. Not with the first one, right? But what, what, you know, we used to joke. We had a friend who had a kid and he was going away and first time away and back when cell phones were bricks, you know, and he had his, and he, they were leaving their kid with a babysitter the first time. And he said, I gave her my cell number. I gave her the restaurant we were going to. I gave her the phone number to the restaurant. I, you know, everything. And then, then they left. I said, I'll wait till you have a couple of kids and you'll go out and say, listen, I'm gone. If you got a problem, call 911. <laughs> but, but the truth is, when I became a parent and I'm sitting, I'm holding this little blonde haired girl for the first time and I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? But God had already given me what I needed for life. Did you know there's a lot of really good instruction in God's word about how to raise kids and what to do as a parent? You think, well, it doesn't answer every question. Well, let me tell you this. Between the written Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and other people of God, you can get the wisdom you need to make the decisions you need. When you lose a job, that's that's hard. I've been there. And, and especially when you lose a job when you have kids, that's a burden. When you have cancer, I had a little cancer surgery last year. The doctor told me I won the cancer lottery. They just cut it out and I'm done. And but some people, including one of my sisters, go through a long and lengthy and difficult ordeal. But everything that can happen in life, everything, God has equipped you for. He's prepared you for. He's given you what you need. If you will walk in trust and faith and obedience, you'll be able to accomplish dreams. You'll be able to do things for God. All things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything you need for a successful godly life, God has already made available. He's already bestowed this upon you. And you need to walk in faith and trust and follow him. So on those instances, when I lost a job and I just looked to the Lord and trust him and prayed and worked like crazy to try and find a job. Through the knowledge of him, because you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, because you have received the Holy Spirit, you now have also received what you need to trust and follow Him. And it was important for Peter to communicate to these believers that uh, they had what they needed because they were going to go through seriously hard times. Seriously hard times. And as they went through those horrific, difficult times, he wanted them to know, you have received from God what you need to get through this. As the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He gave us what we needed to get through. And then he says, called by glory and virtue. And, and this is called both future tense and present tense. We're, we're called 
to live with Him in glory someday. Well, I am colorblind. So when Jeff and Jim were up here doing their little salmon dance, I, I looked confused. And so Kathy leaned over to me. She stepped down so Savannah could use this piano. And Kathy leaned over and said, their shirts match. And it almost made sense to me then. Not quite, but almost. And it almost scared me away too, Jeff. I'm just saying. But, but when we get to heaven, I'm not going to have any restrictions like that. And you're not going to have any... Re- we'll have glorified bodies. I mean, some of us have swapped out parts and we got artificial things in our bodies and but in heaven there'll be nothing artificial it'll all be first rate it'll last forever the glory so there's this future tense of that glory but there's also a present tense of it when we walk with the lord we walk with god right here We have the presence of God in us. So that when we were standing there, when my mom died, and a bunch of us were standing there, and Kathy was there, and we were holding hands, and Kathy said, we know where she went. And she's with the Lord. And so we had a calming presence, a peacefulness, even though it was hard. To watch your mom die is is difficult. I watched a brother die. That was difficult. But God's with us. Even though we walk through difficult times, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And so there's, there's a glory in the present tense because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And you have... Uh, a divine human partnership taking place. That God's working with you and you're working with God. Like James said, you draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. You have this connection with the Father. You have this divine human partnership that other people don't have. People without Christ don't have this. In fact, when describing people without Christ, Paul said they're without hope. But we are in Christ and we have hope and we have joy because there is this immediate sense that He's with me and there's this future sense that I'm going to be fully with Him someday. Physically too, not just spiritually. Then verse 4, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Again, given to us. This is officially bestowed upon us. This is not just you you go to a football game and somebody's throwing T-shirts out in the stands and you happen to snag one. Have you seen those? They have little shooters for some of them. They can shoot things out into the stands and, and people grab them. And, and No, this is officially bestowed upon you. Like uh, the president giving the medal of honor to somebody. 
This has been officially bestowed upon you. It's been given to you exceeding great and precious promises. What does exceeding mean? Right. If there's a speed limit sign, what does exceeding mean? Going beyond. Going faster. Now, occasionally, depending on traffic, you might go a little faster uh, for safety's sake. But listen, if, if you have a kid who's going to pour milk in a glass, do you want them to exceed the capacity of the glass? No, especially not with milk. It's a mess. But God gives us exceeding. This is abundant. This is overflowing. Exceeding great and precious promises. I talked with a friend recently who was seeing a doctor, and doctor wanted him to consider taking some medicine, and he doesn't want to take medicine. And so he says, if the doctor can guarantee that medicine will work, then he'd consider taking it. And I said, there are no guarantees in life. The only guarantees you have are you will die, and if you know Christ, you will go to heaven. Those are the only guarantees that you have. And we we have great promises. I have stood by a lot of caskets, a lot of them. I've seen some of them go down in the ground and people walk by and drop dirt on them. I don't like that, especially if they're way down in there because it thuds when it hits. It's awful. I've seen people put roses. I think we did that at my mom's. Put roses on the casket before it went down. I, I have seen a lot of caskets, some of them beautiful. You know, they make caskets that cost $30,000. But I have never seen a casket that is a permanent home for anybody. Because the casket has the body. The soul and spirit are out into eternity with the Lord or not. And someday, in the great resurrection, the body will be raised up and the soul and spirit will be reunited with the body and the body will be glorified. I don't know if we'll look the same in heaven. I wouldn't mind looking a little better in heaven, would you? I mean, be all right with me. But I don't know if we'll look the same, but I do know that people on earth who saw people who came from heaven, they recognized them. And the disciples even recognized people they'd never seen before and knew only by description. In that time when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I think we'll be recognizable. People will know us and we may be similar. I I heard a sermon once the other day, about 40 years ago, and a guy said, in heaven we'll all be 33 and a half years old because that's how old Jesus was. Nowhere in the Bible does it say anything like that. I I really think it would be cool if we had variable aging in heaven, you know. You get a little older, you eat more of the tree of life, you get a little younger. 
That'd be fun to mess around. Some people just don't think through theology like I do. <laughs> but, but listen, the Lord will raise us up in that last day. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus saves to the uttermost those who come unto God by Him. And then He says we are partakers of the divine nature. You are in Christ. He is in you now and forever. You are to live in a way that reflects His divine nature in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And having escaped the corruption that is in this world, everything on earth is in the process of decay. You buy a brand new car. You drive it off the lot. It's now a used car. Everything on earth is in the process of decay. But some glorious day, decay will be known no longer. We will escape that decaying corruption of the world that's in the world through lust. Everything on earth is in the process of decay except your soul. Your soul is vibrant and dynamic for all eternity. And someday you'll be reunited with your body. If you die before the rapture, your body will be raised up. You'll be reunited with it. If you're in the rapture, you'll be caught up to be with the Lord in the clouds. And so will you ever be with the Lord. So salvation is a gift that you receive from God through Jesus Christ. If you have not received that gift, don't leave here today. Talk with someone. Receive Christ as your Savior. Have your sins forgiven. And God doesn't just give forgiveness. This is really important. He doesn't just give forgiveness. He gives Himself. He, he connects with us. He adopts you into His family. He's building a home for you. So you can live in his house. And that we need to remember that we already have, let me rephrase this, you already have everything you need for life, to walk with the Lord, to serve the Lord, to live and love and serve in faith and obedience. You have what you need. And there are times when you feel overwhelmed. We have, we have a couple of friends, they don't ever say overwhelmed. They say, I feel whelmed, which was the original use of the word. And, uh, but nobody uses that except two people that <laughs> Kathy and I know. Everybody else says overwhelmed. Uh, but spiritually, you're never overwhelmed. It feels like you're overwhelmed. But when you go to God in His Word, in His Spirit, through His people, you connect and you learn and you grow, then you're no longer overwhelmed. And then never forget that God has amazing things planned for us in the future. Amazing things. I have a friend who was never told by her parents, I love you. Had siblings never had any of the siblings say, I love you. But she has received Jesus Christ as her Savior. And the Lord God of heaven says, I love you. And we need to walk with the awareness 
that when we walk with God, he walks with us. So Peter was challenging these believers. Take your eyes off these circumstances. Lift up your eyes and see the glory of what God is doing right now in and through you.